How do we do the intro for this show? What do we do? It's been a while. We say our names, who we are. Okay. I wanted to tell you just something true about myself. Uh, I'll be McCall this time. Who do you want to be? I think I should probably still also be McCall. You, I don't think you introduced yourself as you even once since we no, started this. No, it's you. No, it's you. <laughs> don't try to turn this around. Yeah, you're Baymax. <laughs> no, you're... I, oh, no, I was Baymax. You were Baymax. Shit. I know. I feel like we do that every time. Yeah, we should definitely not do that again. Agreed. So, I'm McCall. Yes. And I'm Jeremy. Yes, you are. And this is Don't Judge Me. Don't Judge Me. The podcast where we talk about nerdy pop culture with a highbrow intellectual angle to it. Nerdy pop. And today we're going to talk about Ex Machina, this uh, amazing new movie. Spoiler alert, just right up front. There will be multiple spoilers. We have to talk about the end to have anything to say. It was, it was a good film, not a movie. No explosions, no guns. Film. film. But the end was what what I want to talk about. So if you've not seen the movie yet... Now is a good time to probably pause this and add it to your save for later. Don't you finish my sentences. You don't don't pretend like... I love that. Yeah. So are we doing robots again? Yeah. I don't I, I don't think that's us. I got to say... I, I, okay, maybe it's a little us. Maybe, maybe we, we should only do robots. <laughs> sexy robots. We could change the name. Don't judge me, comma. Sexy, sexy robot. robot. You realize what will happen is that people in the future in some like weird court of cyber humanity, when we're, we're a post-human, transhuman society, will look at this as evidence of our animalistic side. <laughs> we were never to be trusted. We were never to be trusted. So I think it's helpful, even if you've seen the movie, the film. It was a film. It was not a movie. To go over the plot a little bit in a little synopsis. So again, if you haven't seen it and you want to, you don't want to spoil it, now's the time to tune out for now. You probably just shouldn't listen to the whole thing. I'm going to talk about the end. We have Caleb, who's a programmer at some giant tech company. I think that their core products seem to be sort of search-related, right? Called no, Blue they Book. It, yeah, they said it outright. Like, right. I don't they, think they actually said Google, but I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, they definitely did not say Google. <laughs> so this guy, Caleb, who's sort of a hotshot programmer, ends up winning this apparent lottery. Right. That later is sort of construed as a competition, but then also sort of drawn back on that. Yeah, it's definitely He not. wins this competition, and he ends up spending a week at this very remote pastoral home of the CEO, the owner and inventor of Blue Book. Of Blue Book, who is definitely not, again, Sergey Brin or anybody <laughs> like that, Tony Stark. Right. And the CEO name is Nathan, and so Nathan is definitely a programmer. He's obviously a brilliant guy. There's lots of things that happen in the story that allude to how early his success happened to him right. as well, and he's definitely a loner. He lives by himself in this sort of uh, modern Frank Lloyd Wright-style house. It's very sort of integrated into the nature around it, but we spend all of our time on the inside despite being on this like thousands of acres of of Scandinavian backwoods. Yeah, and, and we got there really quick. We, I mean, we jumped right into the action here. And after we go through the first, the first scene where there's maybe 14 people in a frame at once, after that, it's just three people and, a, and a, the pilot. Right. I mean, it's, even then, there's really three characters. Three characters. Absolutely. There's three characters. And those three. There's Caleb, listen? who is the programmer. There's Nathan, who's the CEO, and Nathan has asked Caleb to come to his retreat to uh, do some Turing tests on his new artificial intelligence robot, Ava. Ava, yep. He wants him to test Ava, but in the end, who is really testing whom is sort of the central thesis of this sci-fi thriller. Um, Not a thriller. It's definitely a thriller. No, it wasn't. I thought it was very a thriller. Really? 
Let's emotional thriller. Yeah, okay. Because there's multiple ways that that could have played, that scenario could have played out. Uh, I think that it's definitely a film that's about deceit. For sure. About subtlety. Yeah. And also about what affection and intimacy really is. So absolutely it's about deceit. I mean, every one of them is is hiding something from the others. And so you don't really know how it's going to end. The only one that seems to be honest, and this is what sort of, this is what really fucked me up, was the, on, the only one that seems to be honest is Ava. You know, like the single point of light as as Caleb tries to to pull something over on Nathan, and Nathan is, is thinks he's smarter than the world and is doing whatever it is that he chooses. Ava seems to be this sort of, this point of light until... I mean, we, I already give a spoiler warning, right? Until the end. And I I walked out of the movie going, I knew this wasn't going to be a man loves robots. They get married and everyone's happy. Little robo babies. Yeah, just as I knew that that, that wasn't going to be the case with her. But this one was so much more... It was dangerous. It was evil. It was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it, was an, it was definitely stylish, but sly... It had an edge to it that made you feel that there was some danger involved from the beginning. You knew that the outcome of these the awkward three-way triangle between this hotshot programmer, the CEO, and this artificial intelligence that they've created, who is a very attractive young lady, yeah. isn't going to be good. And who is going to sort of come out on top? It didn't seem like it was going to be one of those films where... Oh, they see past their differences and they're all happy with each other now. Thank you for the character building. But much as they sort of built up this relationship between Caleb and Ava as like the only true thing in here. It was Nathan that was sort of, I mean, he cast himself as God pretty damn fast. Right. I couldn't get myself past the the human piece of me that was like, oh, this is going to be a love story. Love triumphs over (laughs) all. And I really kept going with that. I was like, this is going to turn out all right. For Isn't somebody, it? for somebody. For those two, it's going to be okay, right? Because he, he really wants to help, and that gets rewarded. I think that it's definitely driven by the performances of those three actors. There was a lot of chemistry there. They were really good, yeah. Absolutely. And it could have been a play. Yes. It, it. Well, I mean, it has what? It has three locations. Two locations. With Ava, not with Ava. That's it. And three characters. Like, in the Ava spot, and then not. Pretty much, and you can pretty much do the whole movie that way, right? Yeah, and they, I mean, they didn't, but they could have. Yeah. So it's definitely driven by these three performances, uh, which are Oscar Isaac as the CEO Nathan, okay, who is the star of Inside Llewellyn Davis, and also in freaking Star Wars. He the, is. Yeah, he's gonna be the new Star Wars movie. Okay. And he was great. There's, uh, uh, I, don't, I actually don't know how to say his name right. It's Dom Hall Gleason. Okay. Is Caleb. Interestingly enough, he's in a Black Mirror episode. If you haven't checked out Black Mirror, definitely go do yourself Wait. a favor and watch that on Netflix. Which one? He is in the episode where the woman who loses her significant other in a car accident, and then her friend signs her up for this really creepy service that mails her a replacement body. He's the replacement body? He's the replacement android. Ah, uh, I didn't even recognize him. So creepy and so meta, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So he's Caleb, who appears to be on the surface is genuine, heartfelt character, our hero, but doesn't really turn out that way. N- but he does definitely get wrapped up into making his own questionable moral choices. Absolutely, he may have been well intentioned, 
but he ends up doing some pretty weird things too. Well, I mean, let's. I mean, even sort of apart from the story, there's a there's that moment where he's sort of looking at himself in the mirror and he's like, "Wait a minute, am I a robot?" Right. You know, he, he has like, this Blade Runner moment. Yeah, and he like starts cutting himself open, like and digging in there, and you're like, "Wow, he's really concerned that he's a robot." But I think that the the film is really held together by Alicia Vikander, who is this uh, actually Swedish actress with a fantastic accent and also amazing body control. These are these two yes. things that I think are really critical sure. to making her feel. You said android. She she moves a, very much like a dancer. Everything is very stiff, ballet, but like purposeful, right? It's, it's definitely somewhere in between organic and mechanical. Well, there's no chance that was an accident. No, and so she actually, I actually found out that she she was a ballerina mm-hmm. and so used a lot of that training in her movements that were sort of accentuated and smooth to a point where humans don't really often move like that, mm-hmm. putting her in that uncanny valley of human-ish, but people don't really walk around like that. It was almost like she was too straight up. She was too perfect. She was too smooth in her movements, right? Mm. And you and I don't walk around like that. Well, I don't. <laughs> but I also thought that her accent being Scandinavian I've met a lot of Scandinavians who have accents in English that sound almost more British than some of my family members who are from England like they have a constructed British accent yes exactly and did you feel that way about hers yes really there's these little intonations and little slips that throw it off just enough for you to be like wait a minute something's a little odd mm. And I thought the combination of her purposeful body motions with this accent that wasn't just quite right mm-hmm. really blended together and to make me believe that she wasn't a human, as well as the really subtle uh, CGI and sound effects. They had this amazing outfit for her that was sort of somewhere in between organic and mechanical. Mm-hmm. And even when she'd move her arms or twist her head just a little bit, there'd be a little whir of a gyro or something like that, yeah. just to remind you sure. in that one little moment that she was not human. I didn't think to, to look at the time, but there is a point at which she she puts on clothes and hair, and she's, she's really trying to look human. I, it didn't occur to me to listen for that then, but I would be interested in whether or not the sound designer also just removed those pieces as well, or if they're there, but you, can, you have to sort of listen for them. It felt very appropriate because that was so subtle. Those were all very subtle things, yeah. and that's what the point of the film was right. in many ways is... The differences here are subtle, but they're really important. Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, at the core of it, right, it's about building a computer that can be more like us. And that subtle difference, that the, the fact that the whole point of this acting like us, she finally em- she embraced this humanity for the explicit purpose of escape. Getting out. Right. It, that she adopted that so effectively. You know, these ex- this exactly perfect movement, these exactly perfect words... And it, it was extremely, it was perfectly calculated to manipulate Caleb and get her ass out. Right. And she escapes by seducing him to the point where he is willing to put Nathan in harm's way. And she does end up killing Nathan, her yeah. creator. And maybe Caleb. And locks Caleb in a room to rot, essentially. In that moment, I, I was looking at the screen going, how could I have been so stupid? To believe, even though She's you not, knew the whole time know, she wasn't going to do it. She wasn't human. She wasn't aspiring to be human. She never even pretended. She had her own wants. She had her own needs. She was after her own thing. Of course she was. But then she goes out in the final sequence of the film 
and is walking around Manhattan or somewhere like that, unbeknownst to anyone around her, that she's a robot. I had this, this tremendous sense of foreboding about that. It felt very dangerous. Yes. And so I think this nuance and this subtlety is important. And it's very unlike other films like iRobot or the backstory to The Matrix, which you can you can see in the, the Animatrix, which yeah, is awesome. It is awesome. Uh, the Renaissance, the second Renaissance, part one and two is amazing. Those are very different machine takeovers. Mm. Those are very overt. It's a revolution. Yeah. They, they didn't attempt to become more human than human. That's an excellent point. The thing that this machine did was it became a perfect human for its purposes, and then it let that drop after it didn't need that anymore. It achieved what it wanted, and it moved on. Its purposes were greater, and that was the thing that they were they were alluding to throughout the whole movie. You know, this is a huge deal. It's the birth of the next... Sentience. Sentience, right? Yeah. The next creation. It's the great event. Of course you don't understand it, and it doesn't care to understand you. I think there is an interesting idea, though, that perhaps the machines take over one by one until we don't notice that all of our friends around us are actually not human. Right, sure. And that's the scary part at the end of that movie. Yeah. You wouldn't know if they were walking among us right now. If they were that good, you wouldn't know. Of course. And why would we think that it would be that this would happen in our own terms? That's 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 been one of the that was one of the things that this movie captured really well, is that of course this whole thing's not going to happen in terms that we understand. I absolutely believe that that we're headed in this direction. Was it Hawking? Steve, Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking, I think, are both like, hey guys, let's think about this for a second. I think that's a much more feasible way, right? If the robots came out in revolt, we'd probably just turn off the the power or whatever, right? Sure, yeah, that becomes a human type of conflict. Right. We, they, they become equal. And I think that, that Gates and, and this movie are warning that this is, this is warfare between entities that are not evenly matched. This is not they run at a group of guys shooting guns at them. This is a war of thought. If, if ever we're able, and I truly think we're at some point, like, it's going to happen, the style of this conflict is going to be like something we've never encountered before. Alex Garland, who's the writer and director of this movie, mm. he also wrote 28 Days Later. And while that's a <laughs> very, that. very large contrast to the subtlety sure. and nuance of this film, zombies running down a hill at sure. you, nonetheless, think about it. It's a, it's a non-human conflict. Right. In the way that the, the zombie apocalypse would be infectious, a more virile sure. conflict. Thus, the AI is a more thoughtful one. Right, right. But I think it's also a film about intimacy and affection. It's a very seductive movie. It's a very sexy movie. Sure, I was taken in. And I think when you look at something like Blade Runner, which sort of imagines, could robots care about each other? Could androids feel the type of things that we feel? Do they have dreams and, and wants and needs? And this didn't ask that question. It said, well, of course they will. But more importantly, they'll understand how to take advantage of ours. Right. I thought one of the interesting things, the sort of manipulation of this Turing test idea, right, which is mm -hmm. can the machine convince you that it is a human, right, that it was based on intimacy, right? And that was the path to really trick the human mm -hmm. 
was to make the person think it needed the machine to love it, us back. Like, why do we need that? Like, why would we need to create something that we desperately wanted to love us? Mm-hmm. Throughout the movie, they, they allude to over and over where Nathan's conversations, he doesn't want to talk about how fast she responds. He doesn't want to talk about her eye movements. He wants to talk about the feelings that Caleb has and thinks that Ava has for Caleb. Yeah. His whole purpose was to create a robot that could deceive a human being into, into believing that it was alive. Well, he succeeded. But through love, right? Through intimacy. Right. That, that piece that we believe we could never be deceived about, like that, right. that most human of things. It's like, yeah, okay, no problem. Of course, that was the chink in the armor, right? right. Is this thing that we desperately need and even the thing that we would make to emulate ourselves, would have that. Oh, would have to have that because that's so important. The soul, right? Um, Asimov's rules, you know, the soul rules in the of machine. Robotics. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the point of Asimov is that those are not things that are intangible in robots, right? The whole reading of Asimov is that, no, 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 those are actual rules that we programmed in this computer, right? And I think that this film goes a, a step further there the robot is actually creating its own sense of right and wrong because that's what sentience does. Right. And so are the robots of Asimov's world sentient? Perhaps not because they still have this imposed order on them. Are subject to whatever rules we've created for them. Yeah, I'm, sure, absolutely. And there's a p- passage in particular that I thought about with uh, Nathan talks about why she has a gender. Caleb asks, why is she a woman, basically? Right. And he says, for two reasons, right? Because he says, A, everything in nature does. And two, because it's fun. Why not make it be pangender or something? Or why wouldn't it be able to make its gender fluid? Like, why do we create, why do we assume that the intelligence we create will somehow resemble us? Well, it's certainly key to this story. Having a gender was absolutely key to being able to manipulate a human man in the way that Ava did. Nathan's creation his his version of woman that was Ava was far from perfect she took steps to embody to 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 conceal those things about her which weren't perfectly female and presented it to Caleb as an attempt to become more like him when in fact it was more to become more like what he needed to see a question for you do okay. you think that Nathan's nihilism while raising Ava do you think that that actually creates her inability to be so compassionate for humanity? Uh, that's an, uh, Wow, interesting question. So choices that are made by the creator of whatever this thing would be would be reflected in the thing that it has created, just as that is true of any piece of artwork. But I don't think you could point to one thing specifically and say it was his nihilism which caused this thing. And even if it were, I mean, we have computers that go out there and make their own decisions. They're not writing all their own software, but there is a there is a program out there which writes its own software to solve problems. I mean, we're we're teaching machines to solve problems, so this is not way far out there. Anyway, I don't think you could point to one thing and say it is because Nathan was nihilistic and self-destructive that uh, that his creation was not a fan of humans. But I do think that you'd be foolish not to say, of course, the the first Im- impression that we give to uh, a, a baby shapes its 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 understanding from then on out. You know, she, he raised this thing. Did she actually change her mind? We're never actually inside any of the characters' heads. So it's not clear to me that she 
totally didn't have any compassion for Caleb. I think it was clear that she had strong feelings of hate towards Nathan. Yeah. But they sort of become more crystallized when she finds out that he'd been abusing the previous prototypes as sort of these weird sex slaves. Right. 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 But is it important? Does it change her mind, I guess? is That's that's my question. Do you think that for her discovery of those things is to say that she maybe had a chance to be one way or another and chose to sort of seal those men's fate because of the things that she discovered they had done. I think the thing that was so disturbing to me, and that was the the clear fallacy that you could try to put any any human emotion onto this this character and understand its motivations. I, that's one of the things I actually really kind of loved about it was, yeah, sure, if she was human, that may well have influenced a decision that was made. But I think that the whole point of this story was to imply that this thing was so very alien and incomprehensible that while it, it may be able to comprehend ours, our choices and emotions, it, it seemed that this film was going to great lengths to ensure that we were clear that we were not going to understand hers. Yet I think we all fell into the fallacy watching the movie. We projected our own sense of, of course. emotion onto what she was doing to help understand her motivation, right? Right. It wasn't like she wasn't evil. I think that's... She seems so delighted to escape, and I empathize with that. But that's why it's a complicated film, right? Yeah, absolutely. She she ends up killing Nathan and also leaving Caleb to die, basically, locked in a room, right? right? Well, so, that's, that's an interesting choice, too. To your point, would it have been easier for her to just kill him? Going back to the idea of subtlety, there's a moment where she looks over her shoulder just for a second... And seems to seems to embody some some level of remorse in leaving Caleb behind while he screams as she leaves the compound. Right? Sure. There's some some kernel of whatever humanity was. But is it really there? there, or is it that's what we just want to see? Maybe she's sure. just looking to the left. Is he getting out? No, he's he's, he's still staying. In he's staying there because I put him there. It's really hard to decipher what part of that the the machine was actually feeling quote quote versus what we as humans watching this narrative project onto it to your point though the thing that she embodies the most about humanity is deception. The Turing test, and they refer to this multiple times, is sort of about convincing another human that uh, AI is real. Right. Is is another person. And does that mean if I can't convince you I am a person, that doesn't make me a machine, right? The antithesis here doesn't really work. It's it's our perspective is the one that we can explain things through. Right. We we don't have to convince it that we're human. We it doesn't care. It doesn't care. <laughs> right. It's irrelevant. So all of the things that they talk about, the whole sort of structure of the film about this test and who's testing whom is actually, in the end, inconsequential. Right. Because she doesn't care. She just knows how to beat the Turing beat test, the, beat the system that they set up for her. The AI doesn't actually care that it passes. The thing that convinced me that, that they had created some AI that had purpose was that its drive was not to convince us that it was real. Its drive was not to have a relationship with Caleb that was equal to human. It was 
far beyond that. It was something else, and it was using the tools that it had to accomplish the goal. The test is actually set up with deceit in mind. Deceit is the way that you pass the Turing test. Because yeah. you're not human. Right. As an AI, you're not. And so sh- yeah. if you pass the Turing test, it means you're lying. That's a really good point. That's fucked up. Here's something that's really creepy. Okay. Or maybe kind of cool, depending on how you want to think about it. <laughs> but apparently... At South by Southwest this year, they set up a fake Tinder profile called Ava, and they put the actress's face on the profile, Uh and then people messaged her, and she messaged them back things like, have you ever been in love? What does it mean to be a human? And then sent them a link to the website promoting the film. Oh, fantastic. No. <laughs> and I can't decide if this is the most clever advertising I've heard of recently. Or a sign of the end times. Or something akin to a Stanford prison experiment, <laughs> right? Because anybody that's been on, on some sort of dating website or app, whether it's Tinder or, or anything else, there's real emotions there. Sure. And this actress is a very attractive lady. Right. And you're not going to tell me that some people were like absolutely crushed to find out this person who matched them was Wasn't... just some contrivance. There's there's a Turing test almost going on in this marketing campaign that's also, on the one hand, amazing and brilliant, but yet seems to sort of lack some essence of compassion towards other people. Yeah, so while it's messed up for us to require something that we create to prove to us that it is human, it's also super fucked up that what we've created, we're trying to get other humans to expose that most human of things to something that's not a human like no that's a that's a really <laughs> that's a really horrible discovery that you've made please never discuss it again and that's the way that it would really happen is the ai would take the world by putting itself on tinder <laughs> that's how it would happen <laughs> and we would all we would all fall fall for it all right i'm deleting all of my dating apps right now <laughs> hang on I'm just i'm not going to be the one that goes Cool movie. I agree with you. I think it was a really good film, and I would encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to go watch it. Absolutely. It was definitely very good. It was better than Ultron. It's way better than Ultron. Yep. Definitely. We saw both of those, like, right next to each other. Interesting choices. Interesting life choices. <laughs> but thank you for listening. Yeah, this has been great. I'm Jeremy. I'm McCall. And this is Don't Judge Me. <laughs>